Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom, along with my co-host, athletic director, Andy Lakatosh. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom, joined today by my co-worker, Maura Butel, um, and our special guest this week, many of you will know her. Uh, she is a master's world champion on the track, a national champion on the track. She is a storyteller. She is a Peloton instructor. We are thrilled to have with us today the ever empowering Christine Dercole, um, joining us here in uh, the T-Town podcast in the month of March, which is a, a month about women's empowerment and it is in the month that we have announced our 50-50 in 50 initiative to get 50-50% participation of male to female here at the track by our 50th anniversary in 2025. And I can think of nobody better qualified to help us kick off this message that all women belong at the track uh, than Christine. And so, Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Wow. Um, welcome to the pod. We're thrilled to have you. Um, yeah, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. And I am really, really excited about this initiative. I know that there's, you know, it's, it's an, it can be, is not meant to be an intimidating situation. The banking, the idea that the bikes have no brakes, all of that seems incredibly um, daunting for a newbie, but at least through my experience, it is, it was never anything but totally welcoming. And um, I want to pass that on. I want to get as many women on bikes as possible. And I'm very proud to say that I've got a little posse that uh, where that I am, I can, I will, I do kit who some of them have raced before and some of them, you know, my age, older, younger, trying out something completely new and breaking that um the myth that you you can't engage in a, a sport after a certain age and uh breaking that that spell of intimidation so i'm i'm really thrilled about this and hopefully yeah fingers crossed we will get to 50-50. Well, I think we're going to we're going to build a coalition. Kim Geist has said, you know, she's like 100% on board with supporting the mission. Every woman that we've talked to uh, since we've announced it has been like, yeah, sisters, let's get it done, which I think is awesome. And uh, by the way, those kits that I, I am, I can, I will do kits are, are, are beautiful. Um, they are, Thank they you. are stunning. So uh, you rarely say that about cycling kit and, and <laughs> yours are, yours are quite good. So Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it, right? You, you look good, you feel good. Um, it can certainly help. It can certainly help when you're confident in your superhero um, cape costume. Yeah. You go out there on the track. I raced for a team one year that the kits were white. Oh. And it was um, it was a tough year. 
<laughs> it was a tough year to rock up to the line feeling your best, I will say, yeah. particularly when you're on the pale side as well. So you're like pale <laughs> and you're wearing white. It was not good. <laughs> but it was a little vulnerable. Yeah. I was just like, hey, this is white. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Um, so one of the things that I, I find uh you know, particularly interesting about you is that you refer to yourself as a storyteller, a professional storyteller. Um, and I have listened to you tell your story uh, a number of times on uh, on a number of different platforms. Uh, and I think uh, it's a it's a story worth repeating, uh, certainly in our sport. And um, like you, um, I have a, a background in the ballet. Um, I started when I was four years old and very single-mindedly pursued that uh, as far as I could through college. Um, and I and I haven't really talked about this publicly terribly a lot. My my closer friends know, but um, certainly not public. Uh, you know, I'm old. So back when I was uh, back when I was dancing, you know, there was a very specific aesthetic, right? It was the Balanchine years. It was you had to have very long legs, a very short torso, a very long neck and a very small head. Um, mm -hmm. And and that was the aesthetic. And I remember going to auditions and they would hand you it was pre-internet, right? So they would hand you a little card and the card would have your number on it. And then it would have on the back of the card length of femur to tibia, <laughs> you know, like they oh, yes. and you were being measured like you were a pony at a at a horse auction. Right. Like it was yes. it didn't matter how great you were. Um, it yeah. just mattered that your femurs were the right length. So, you know, and and right. you were the sum of your parts. Uh, and I I will not go into the details of which ballet company I auditioned for or who the ballet master was at the time. But I auditioned for a ballet company at 108 pounds. Um, I'm 5'8". And I was told... So am I. Wow. <laughs> and I was told that I had danced brilliantly and if I could lose 10 more pounds, I'd be in. Um, so dangerous. And, so dangerous. you know, I have grappled with that uh, my whole life, right? I had one ballet master who would... Who would um, Tell who would decide if we were thin enough if we could hold a teacup in our clavicle, um, you know, wow. and so, yeah. so you know, you've talked about body image and eating disorders, and then you hear athletes in our sport, a lot of junior athletes who wash out of the pro professional side of our sport, talk about eating disorders. I think athletes like Ruth Winder have been very open about their struggles. Brad Hoff, very open with their struggles with eating disorders. Um, and, you know, we were joking about how attractive your kit is and how you feel good in your Superman suit. Um, Woman, superwoman. But, <laughs> but this whole notion of what we wear when we come out to ride our bikes uh, does play a factor into this, this whole body image thing. And, um, I, I feel like I've always worked against body type. Um, you've embraced your body type. So I've talked a lot about me as a way of setting this up for you to sort of dig into what is, I think, probably far more positive body image than what I have experienced. <laughs> oh, I mean, our journeys are very parallel. 
I didn't get to quite that level. I, there was no auditioning for major companies for me. And I, I bowed out around age 14, 15. But the experience was the same where all the little girls are lined up in the back of the room and brought forward one by one as though walking up to a, a scaffold <laughs> to get on that scale and have their name and their life's worth written in a number next to their name. And to be told, I was told that I'd have a chance at getting certain parts, which happened to be the costumes with the short tutus, if I'd lose another 10 pounds. My smallest was 112. And I did lots of very, very harming things to myself in order to get there. And I remember asking the dance teacher, how do I look now? I was so proud, I was so proud of that number on the scale. And she said, well, now you look like a regular person, but you don't look like a dancer yet. Keep going. Yeah. This is so destructive. And I knew I was built a little bit bigger than the other girls, but in my head, this myth developed that I was so much bigger than everyone else. Yeah. She's a big girl. And I carried this, I'm a big girl story. Um, I still carry it. And it's, it, I've done a lot of podcasts where like, I've been asked, well, how did you achieve this grand state of acceptance? It's, I'm better at how I talk to myself about it. It's, it, I, I don't know that I'm in a way better place than I was. I don't know that there's an official, like I've got this down and I figured it out completely because those little voices, they, they, they get rooted from that very, very early age. Yep. So just for um, transparency, it's, I'm still aware when I put my kid on, <laughs> I'm still aware of myself when I, even when I get up to teach, I, um, but then I shift my gears. And well, that's part of the work that I do with my workshops is about how do we cope with those moments where we're saying all of this terrible negative stuff to ourselves because we still got to go on. Right. So we better change. Nobody can tell us. It, sorry, everyone can tell us a lot of great things about how great we look or how talented and strong we are. But until we hear it from ourselves, none of it's going to be sustainable. So, yeah. Um, when and I think I that's so important from our junior athletes in particular to hear you say that, right? Because they're at the age that we were at when we right. started hearing the negative self-talk right. about, oh, just 10 pounds more and you'll be awesome, you know, or like you think now like, oh, well, just 10 more pounds in my Watts to kilo are going to be bonkers. That's what I was going to say next. Your power to weight ratio is going to improve. And I've right. been through this story in my head where it's not about like, I don't need to lose weight. I want to change my power to weight ratio and I will be this much faster in my 200 meter time trial or whatever race. And while that might be true, well, I'm sure it is 100% true that if I lost whatever amount of weight, I'd improve that power to weight ratio. Will I be happy? 
because or healthy. I, I have to check myself at one point. How is the the time of my two hundred meter time trial any different than the number on the scale? Right. Whether you're trying to make a number go up your speed or down your your time trial time, you're still equating your worth with a number. And I have to say, when I went to when I went to Worlds last, oh my God, the time is a warp, right? Not right. last year, the year before. Before the great interruption. Before the great interruption. I remember, and everybody, I, I don't know, I think everybody does this. You, you try to get a sense of where you stand amongst the competition by doing all this research and Googling everybody else's time and try to get an idea of like how fit they look and create this whole monstrosity in your head where you almost decide whether or not you have a chance of winning the race before you've ever stepped on the track. And we disguise that under, I'm just being realistic, but if I really went with that, then there's no way I should have won that team sprint with Cammy. If I just used the numbers, you know how they do the race predictor. Right. That makes me so angry. Well, my, my coach once said he, we were at a training camp for a team I was racing on and, and, you know, everybody was like, when we weren't on the bike, everyone's like FTP test, you know, what's your, you know, and of course somebody's FTP who's five foot two has nothing to do with your FTP at five foot eight, but you know, we were all going down the rabbit hole and he finally said, look, if, if FTP was the only thing to winning bike races, you'd show up with your power test and they'd write you a check at the registration desk. Exactly. And, and I, you know, when I start to go down the, the rabbit hole or spiral a little bit on numbers, which as a person with OCD, I can very easily do. Um, I try to remind myself of that, right. Of that conversation where he just looked at the whole group of us and went, Oh, if, if it was only FTP, you know, we wouldn't even have to race our bikes. Oh, that is a tremendous statement. I, I do try to impart that fact in my classes as well, because I see a lot of people post, you know, I, I gained, I improved my FTP by X amount, or it went down by two points. And it's just become another scale. Right for self-judgment and it really does not have anything to do with your ability to to win and it doesn't it doesn't determine your ability to win and it definitely does not determine your worth right right and i think that that is such an important thing for folks to understand because it is so easy to get into training peaks or into, you know, your, your Peloton class or whatever, your Zwift results and start to be like, oh, this is hopeless or, you know, why am I bothering or I don't belong here. And I think that the answer is, you know, look, very few people are ever going to go to the Olympics, but you can ride a bike for your whole life. And if you like doing the thing, embrace doing the thing for the purpose of doing the thing and not necessarily for an outcome, but do it because you enjoy the process of training, do it because you enjoy the social life, do it because you enjoy competition, whether it's against yourself or other people, but don't let the numbers intimidate you away. 
Don't oh. let those numbers take your joy. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I think that that's an incredibly empowering way to approach sport. Again, sp- specifically with cycling, because we can do it till we're old, right? Like, yeah. you know, you think about things like football for 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 boys, right? Like they play football in in grammar school and high school. Most people stop then because most people don't move on to college certainly don't play once you've graduated from college if you played there you can't do it for life it's not a for life sport but cycling is a for life sport i got my first bike when i was four years old and i raced around my block my one block that my mother allowed me to ride my bike (laughs) on for hours at a time and weirdly enough i'm still doing the equivalent of that you know many decades (laughs) later i'm still doing the same thing um, maybe that explains why I like to ride the same routes all the time because I was yes. programmed as a child to go around one block. Um, <laughs> but but you know we can do that late into life and we can find competition where we are. Um, and I think that goes back to this whole thing of wanting more women to feel empowered to come out to the track or come out to bike racing or to to try a Peloton class. Right. It it. You don't have to race bikes, You can, but you can love riding them and you can feel empowered riding them and being exactly. part of that community and have an identity as a cyclist um, that's not scary. But I think a lot of people are scared. I think so. I think, um, I know when I, when I share the type of cycling that I do, there's a, there's a, a wave of, oh my God, I'm so intimidated by that. And I honestly, how is it any different than skiing in terms of intimidation factor or like scary to have no brakes? You kind of don't really have brakes on your. It's it's very similar in a lot of ways to skiing, and that sort of demystifies it. Yeah. But I think another another piece that can be intimidating that I'm obviously trying very hard to help people break through is. And those kids, you're exposed. There you are, zipped up, skin tight. And not every single kid is going to hug your thighs in the most flattering manner. This is true. And, um, you know, it goes, that then ties back to all of the shame that as soon as our bodies start to change in puberty, and, you know, you may have been a tiny, skinny kid, and then suddenly you're, blooming into all of these curves and you become self-conscious and self-aware and trying to hide those things. And I know that dance did that to me. It made me ashamed of my body and specifically my thighs, my legs, because they wouldn't put me in that short tutu because my legs were bigger than the other girls. And I would stand out. And when I discovered cycling, back in the nineties and started winning races, I suddenly became proud of the thing I had been ashamed of. And that was a tremendous breakthrough for me. I was finally able to be successful and have joy in my body because of my body, not in spite of it. Right. You embraced it. 
in all of those, in dance, in theater, modeling, on all of these spaces, your success is based on someone else's opinion of your physique, the Balanchine body. If you don't have that length of femur, you're, you're out of luck. And while genetics plays a part in success in, in many different ways, in many different sports, some people are better built for one thing than another. In cycling, I was successful because yeah. of myself, because of my decisions and because of strength that I naturally had, not because I was pretty enough or tall enough or skinny enough. And when you go to the track and you see, this is so empowering to me. I love showing up the track and seeing all the different bodies, all of these beautifully strong bodies, all different shapes. And I, I just, I want, I want all women to see that. Yeah. Because the, the fight for the thinner thighs is, is real out there. And when I, the messages that I get back when I say in a class or somewhere on social, you are bigger than a smaller pair of pants is uh, it's like a revelation. It, it is a revelation. We've been taught that until you fit into that smaller pair of pants, you're not worth being seen. And we all know that this is just not true. We have to break that. Yeah. I think that is a, that's a, and it's a hard thing to break. Let's, let's, you can't, we can't, it's easy for us to sort of say that, right? It is, it is a simple, those are simple words to say out loud, but the bigger challenge is to internalize that and to actually right. believe it. Uh, and it's particularly hard, I think, when the outside voices are still amplifying the other message, you right. know, uh, I, I think, you know, in the in the past year here, one of the most disturbing things that happened to me, and and I, I lost a ton of weight. I had a bunch of surgery, so over the course of having three major surgeries in six months, I've lost thirty pounds, and I'm happy, wow. right? Like, yay, I've lost thirty pounds. It's and that's 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 the old brain, right? That's my right. my weird monkey brain kind of kicking in that says that's mm -hmm. better. But I had a parent of a junior athlete in front of the junior athlete roll up to me and say, oh, somebody's been riding her bike. You look really fit. <gasps> oh. And, and I, there was a moment in that, that exchange where I felt good, right? Oh, okay. right. I, I look, I look the part of a bike racer now, whereas before maybe I didn't, um, even though I've been racing bikes for 20 years. Right. And then instantly behind that was, oh crap, you did not just say that in front of your kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I, and because it did a number on my head in that mm -hmm. exchange. But then I thought, what's the message to the kid? Yeah. Um, and I, I was just like, oh, oh, that's a huge moment of reflection. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, so we're we confront that all the time. And that wasn't at the track. That was not that was a a, a road setting. But um, still, you know, it's 
makes me feel glad that you have not had that experience here at the track. And that's certainly the, the environment we're trying to create here is that you don't have that experience here at the track. Um, but it does exist in our sport. Um, and, and we have to fight that, you know, we, we definitely have to do what you do, which is look around and say, look at all these great, strong athletic people. And it doesn't matter if they have short legs or long legs. It definitely doesn't matter. <laughs> and we need to, to have those conversations in the infield yeah. with each other that um, you're, you're fine just the way you are and you have no idea what you're capable of just the way you are. Right. We have to change that, that chatter. Yeah. And, um, and really, really embrace real bodies. Right. Because they are far more powerful and they're far more capable of making us proud if we would simply, simply allow it. Right. Yep. 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 That's the hard part though. That's where the work, that's, that's where the work gets done. <laughs> it, it requires risk-taking. It requires people showing up as they are. Right. Right. It requires, you know, it, it requires taking the risk of showing up, of doing something new, of not judging oneself and entering the track, entering the space with curiosity about one's own capacity for possibility. It requires bravery, but the more people who do that, it does become contagious. And over time, yes. we'll change the community, we'll change the environment, we'll change the atmosphere when more and more people do that. And I think it requires, you know, it requires conversations like this. It requires um, things like the women's um, Wednesdays. Yep. And it, it's, it's the communication and the conversations that's going to help change the conversation yeah. in one's own head. Well, let's set that sort of, we, we, we started with the deep dark side of things. <laughs> um, we went right, right to the heart of the beast. Um, but uh, let's, let's turn the narrative. Let's, let's, cause you said, let's see the possibilities, right? So uh, let's grasp that topic now, because I love that topic of the possibilities. Um, we had a, we had the great year of interruption, right? We had COVID yes. where, um, I, I like to pretend that that year just didn't actually happen. Right. It sort of <laughs> exists in a weird parallel universe. But 2021 is coming up and um, hopefully things are a little better this year than they were last year. I think we have lots of reasons for optimism between vaccines and numbers coming down and more knowledge, more tools this year to be to be safe. And so in what I, when I viewed as a year of great possibility, and again, it's, it's, we have an opportunity this year, more people than ever bought bikes during COVID people, you can't buy a bike in a bike store right now. You can't, you know, you can't buy parts for your bike. Uh, so many people went out and bought them. I think there was certainly a massive, uh, run on Peloton bikes. Um, yeah, it was a little run. Yeah. Laura herself is a living testament to that. Um, so I view this as a year of great possibility here at the track for just more people, more kids, more women, more men, more people, more families. Um, 
but let's talk about what you view as possible for you this year uh, mm. in this in this great year of of renewed possibility. Uh, what's what's ahead for you, Christine, in 2021? So for me, um, I had the experience of actually being totally sidelined from my training for the past month. And um, I was diagnosed with a squamous cell carcinoma and I had to go through its removal and the reconstruction around it on my face, smack in the middle. <laughs> and I literally was not allowed to move for three weeks. And now I'm just coming back very, very, very carefully. Um, you look great, by the way. Our listeners well, can't see you because we're, <laughs> we're not of of a video podcast, but I can see you and you look terrific. Thank you. My glasses are hiding it. <laughs> and I, I'm a little, uh, skilled with the makeup. Um, but, uh, I, I was plowing through my training and I, I actually, before this happened a few weeks before the surgery, I was speaking with my coach, Missy Erickson, the amazing Missy Erickson. And I, I kept tweaking things. I kept, I was kept tweaking. I tweaked my elbow, I tweaked my knee, I tweaked my, every other week, it was something that I had to modify and adapt for. And I was like, I think I need to, I need to shift gears. So we did things a little differently. And you know, I wasn't able to lift what I wanted to lift. I wasn't able to squat what I wanted to squat. And my headspace is going, oh boy, <laughs> you're trying, you're supposed to be making gains now. You're supposed to be building your base now. And you're not, you're, you just, you can't right now. And then this happened. So it's been a, a big leap of faith to simply accept this is where I am. And I'm starting from scratch. I'm sure some base is still in there after as many years as I've put into to cycling. However, I am starting with no expectations right now. I want to do nationals. I want to do worlds. I'm planning on showing up, but with a completely different attitude. I really had a hard time in 2019 at nationals with my headspace. I really, really struggled with my chatter. And from there to here, I feel a tremendous shift in terms of actually being able to do what I say, what I preach about entering a space with curiosity and not judging yourself, not judging yourself on your own opinion of yourself or against anybody else's opinion of you or against anybody else's times or power to wait. Like coming in, in naked, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see what happens, but I plan on showing up. The, um, the thing that makes my heart race is, like I'm gonna stick with masters. <laughs> for them to start, 
but I remember in 2018 when um, I came down and there was UCI races and masters races happening. And I remember thinking, well, I don't do elite. I don't do UCI. I'm like, I'm not fast enough for that. And then I remember seeing several of the women who I had just raced with do UCI races. And I said, oh, damn, you cannot ignore the fact that you were just in a race with those women and you were hanging with them and doing well, doing great. And now they are hanging with the elites, then you have no excuse, but to try to get out there and see what happens. And it was that shift again of, okay, no expectations, see what happens. And there was that one UCI scratch race. And it was a C1 race. There were, I forget what the parameters are, but I think there's five countries yeah. present yeah. and cyclists of a, of a certain caliber. And there was a breakaway and I found myself in a chase, like literally found myself in a chase. <laughs> I was on a girl's wheel and suddenly we were in the front of the pack and I'm like, Oh no, this is not what you, you, you think you're a sprinter. So sprinters don't do this. They, they wait at the back. They don't go for breakaways. And there I was there. We were, and we caught the girl who was ahead of us. We went by her. We kept very, very gracefully taking turns. Um, it was such a beautiful experience of sportswomanship. And, and then the bell rang and I found a little, just a tiny bit of extra kick there as I came around and I was in the front. There was no more sharing laps. This was to the death. <laughs> and the, the pack was charging and Kim Geist is there. And I think Rushley Buchanan was there and I'm old enough to be some of their mom. <laughs> and, and then I crossed the finish line first. And I won that UCI category one race against big, big, big deals. Yeah. And, you know, then that other voice in my head says, well, they let you go. <laughs> well, you know, there is always this give and take of underestimating someone and it being a mistake. And that goes back to the earlier. It's not just your FTP that wins bike races, exactly. right? Your brain exactly. has to win bike races, too. Exactly. So that was such an empowering moment of like not having any expectation at all and enjoying myself. Right. You just have to show up and let it go from there. Yep. You've got to show up, but you got showing up is gold. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's funny that you, you say that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I had all three big surgeries, right. Two, two iliac artery reconstructions, um, Wow. So, uh, and one other surgery. So, um, so 
those were in the, the fall of 2019. And, and obviously when you have iliac arteries that are blocked or shut mm -hmm. off or you don't get blood flow to your legs, which is exceedingly problematic if you want to raise bikes. <laughs> you want to raise a bike. <laughs> it, it definitely impedes your performance. And so for years I had had this building up of this iliac artery issue and um, and then I got them fixed, finally got diagnosed, which is, it's a, it's a hard diagnosis to get, finally got the diagnosis, finally had the big surgeries, was off the bike for 12 weeks, um, mm. and was all looking forward to the 2020 season to come back and, and, and test the legs, right. And see, well, was it really the surgery? Was it, was, you know, was it really the iliac arteries the reason why I was performing the way I was performing? And, and then, 2020 was not the year to test the legs. And so another year has gone by. You're a year older. Um, I still want to test the legs, you know, this, this summer myself. And it is that leap of, all right, can I show up and do it? And can I accept right. the consequences, right? Can I accept that um, either I'm going to have the legs that I think I'm going to have because I had all this work done and I've tried hard in the in the time intervening to to get back or or you know have too many years intervened where you weren't a good bike racer to come back to it and it's a real mental battle um but you got to show up to find out you got to show up to get the answers um so it's sort of fun to talk to you where you're in sort of a similar, although a similar place. Yes. You know, yeah. it's a, I don't recommend 12 weeks, by the way. Oh, I can't. I'm, I, <laughs> my heart banged in my chest when you said 12 weeks. Yeah. It was, uh, um, after a day or two of not moving, I'm always like, uh, I would like to move. <laughs> I was allowed to walk. So I became like the world's greatest walker, which is so not a bicycling thing. Um, oh. But I was I was like, I was going out, like going for QOMs on the, the local trail network, like walking QOMs, which was ridiculous. Uh, I, you know, I was going out and doing 12 mile walks after work in the dark with a headlamp on. <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to get fit again. I was out there walking my little heart out, you know, because it was the only thing I was allowed to do. Right, um, right. And I tend to become a very, very unpleasant person if I don't burn off my nervous energy, which of which yes. there is a lot. So, uh, yeah, I became a champion walker. At one point, I thought <laughs> I should just do this. <laughs> like, I'm real good at this. <laughs> I, I could be race walking. I'm, I'm good at this thing. Yeah. There's funny. a lot of people who have to change their yeah. um modality yeah so many runners come to cycling because of running injuries yeah nobody um, goes the other way though nobody goes the other <laughs> way too. this is true <laughs> nobody does that <laughs> i've but. been really inspired by a lot of peloton riders who have had setbacks and been sidelined by um <laughs> by limb loss, wow. by replacement joints and, and COVID itself. Yep. And I read their stories and I, it gives me perspective on my situation. Like, okay. Right. You know, it, it becomes a mirror. We're all going through the same thing. Yep. So many of us going through the same thing of trying to, how do you, 
first, how do you get to the starting line again yep. with a different body, with different lungs, with less limbs or with changed situations? And how do you move around new scars, both mental and physical? And um, if we, through this conversation, can help encourage people to walk up to that line and acknowledge all of the fears that are running through your head. I am scared. I am petrified. And also acknowledge that in that is I am hopeful. I can try. I will begin and use whatever framework one uses. That's the framework that I use for myself. I am where I am. I can do something about it. Here's what I will do and then do it. I think that is the, that is the, the, the last one is, is the one that gets me right is I will do it. I will do. Um, I think that's just, that's the first step. And then it's the second step and it's every day deciding to do every day. You know, you got to get to the, I do every day. My mom had MS for 60 years. Um, Mm. so she, she obviously struggled and suffered, you know, it was painful and, um, but she said, you know, Joni, I don't get depressed. Every day I get up and I move forward. Yeah. What a lesson, right? Like absolutely. every That's- day you get up and you move forward. And some days are better than others, but they're all days and you can do something every day. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't, you know, sometimes that might just be a very small thing. It doesn't, you know, doesn't mean you set a new power record. It just means you do something. What that something is. Is it's very powerful to not judge ourselves, whether what we did was big or small. Right. Right. It's like putting in the base miles. Yeah. I just keep going. Yeah. So I know Maura over here. She's my baby bike racer. I'm going to teach her how to race bikes this year. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, one awesome. of the lucky ones to get a bike during COVID, which was Oh, that's good. fantastic. Tra- Joan has been taking me out and mentoring me and showing me the ropes, which has been I great. Love it. Yeah, I love I'm going tur- to turn turn her into a roadie. Sorry. Track can't have her. <laughs> Need more roadies. Um, but Maura, I think... Uh, You've been you've been doing the the Peloton uh, all through the COVID with with Christine. Yes. What's uh, what's your experience been doing? So getting the Peloton right and like you take the first couple classes, you take instructor here, instructor there, kind of just like figuring out what kind of class you like, what instructors and stuff. And um, I got really into Kendall Kendall Tools classes. She she kicks my butt every day. <laughs> um, and then. I came across you. I'm like, wait, like she kind of comes down and races at T-Town. Like I should take her classes. Like I know <laughs> her like through people like this is cool. And like I took your class and I was like, wow, like this is just so like re- like everything, the self-talk. And so I'm coming into cycling from swimming and just experiencing a lot of stuff that we've already talked about with the numbers and everything through that and coming into cycling. And, like, I never used my legs in swimming at all. So it's great, like, coming into this and actually doing a sport where I can use them. Um, But, like, everything in your classes. So um, 
I've actually taken all of your Haleakala rides. Uh, I read that. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, they were really hard. <laughs> um, I can't imagine how you did it all together. Five <laughs> hours. Uh, like actually up a volcano. I'm sitting up in our Peloton room looking outside at three feet of snow. And I'm like, I hate this. Like, this is awful. <laughs> and I wanted to quit so bad and I was like no like you're not allowed to quit like if she can do it all together you can do it separately you have 20 minutes to go and the last 10 minutes of your final ride I wanted to die I was like my legs can't handle it anymore I have nothing left and you had said at that point you had switched your frame of mind from I am I can I will I do to don't fucking stop you asshole and I was like (laughs) yes i have never resonated with something so much in my entire life it's like you put in over four hours of work you have 10 minutes left to go like you just have to keep chugging along and and doing the thing and it didn't hurt that the last song you had was kings and queens by 30 seconds to mars it was such a great great song to finish with (laughs) and i finished that last hour and i'm sitting there on the bike and i'm crying because i'm like oh my god (laughs) Yeah. And she's texting me, yeah, by the I'm way. Texting Proud coach. coach. Um, every day I'm like, oh, like my output is this now. And like, I actually had to retake my FTP because the first time I did it, it was all messed up. And I know nothing about any of this right now. So I'm all like, Joan, I don't know if this is good or not. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're doing a great job. Like, thumbs up. Keep going. Um, thumbs up. All the thumbs up. <laughs> all the thumbs up. Um But, like, getting so close to something and wanting to quit at the end because you're so drained. But, like, the feeling of accomplishment. Like, you're so proud of yourself. Like, damn, like, I really did the thing. Like, I can't even imagine how you must have felt, like, when you got to the top of that volcano and seeing the view and just, like, having it all be worth it. Well, you know what was worth it was not the view of the vista. Right. Which was beautiful. But it was a different view of myself and what I was capable of. I saw myself differently. And yeah, there were so many moments that I I wanted to like, I just wanted it to hurt less. Well, and your bike wasn't geared right for no. either. <laughs> no, that that was what a what a dumb mistake for someone who's been around bikes as long as I have. I'm not an expert by any means, but why did, and then I'm sorry, but why didn't the bike shop suggest also maybe that. You, you might want a different garage? Um, they were lovely, by the way, they were probably just busy. Um, also people ride up that volcano on completely inappropriate bikes so and it can be done that challenge was um it was humbling and it made me proud at the same time it's the the relentlessness of it the which i tried very very hard to impart on the rides i did replicating it on peloton that it's it's either steep or less steep, mm-hmm. but you never really get a break. So you have to reframe what your break is. Right. When you're on a switchback where the stretch is a little bit less intense than the one before, 
you, you, you allow that you, because you realize you you're only at 3000 feet and there's 10,000 to be covered. And, you know, so often we, we, we can, we start with so much ambition and we just want to plow through it. I'm going to do this in four hours. And you know, I think one absolute elite professional guy did it in four hours with support and no stopping. Um, and we, we tend to, we, when we get excited about doing something like that, we go out of the gates too hard. And one of the big things that climbing Haleakala reinforced in me, taught me again, because I think we need to learn lessons over and over and over again, is patience. Patience. And in all of those moments where I heard the words in my head, wow, you know you don't have to do this. (laughs) Wow, your lower back is really fatigued. Your butt (laughs) could use a break, but standing up is going to cost your thighs too much to give your butt the break. Um, Letting those things, those thoughts pass and not getting stuck in them was something that I experienced um, to stop. Like, yes, you're feeling all of these things. It became very like in savasana in yoga where you're lying there and your nose is itching and the cue is don't move <laughs> and allow the sensations to pass it happens in a bike race to me a lot i'm like oh my gosh this hurts that hurts i can't i can't hold on to this intensity anymore and catching yourself refocusing shifting the words in your head, get back in the race, get back in the game, get back in the ride, focus on the top of the hill, focus not on what's happening in the body, but focus on where you're going. And you've got to stay in a thing long enough to get to that point, to have that conversation, to change the chatter, to keep going. And that's, all of that conversation is is how how I got to the top of that volcano. I I remember getting to where you can see the observation thing, the 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 goal, the building that says ten thousand twenty three feet of elevation, and right before it is like a ten percent incline. And (laughs) you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. How can you put that here? Um, (laughs) And then I I found, I found a way because I wasn't going to quit that close to surge up the top (laughs) after everything my body had been through. There is something about seeing that finish line that lights a fire. And it was, it was such a beautiful moment. It was such a beautiful moment. 
changing that chatter, that moment when you flip the switch. I think that's why I love racing so much or cycling in general, because it gives me the opportunity to encounter those moments on a regular basis. And I think come out the other side proud. And that's it. That's, and I think that's the message that I want to leave our listeners with today is that uh, maybe potential listeners, right? Maybe people who haven't come out and raced yet, uh, but who are, who are somebody, somebody who does race is going to say, oh, you've been thinking about it. You should listen to this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. for, for folks who haven't come out and give it a shot, whether it's road or track or mountain bike or gravel, whatever the thing, um, if there's a message to take away from this podcast today is that do the thing. Experience, Make yourself proud. Experience the thing and then have that moment at the end. Because if you have that moment at the end just once, you're going to want to have that moment again. And I yeah. think, you know, like I remember the first marathon I ran, I was like, that last point two, I was just like, I hate this. I'm never doing this again. This is the worst thing ever. Like, why, why, why do people do this? This is barbaric. And the second I finished the line, I was like, when can I do it again? And yes. it was, <laughs> I, 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 I even caught myself like, wow, that was a quick switch. <laughs> like <laughs> literally 10 steps ago, you were vowing never to do something this stupid ever again. And here you are saying, when's the next one I can sign up for? Right. Uh, because right. that moment of the achievement, whether it's crossing the line in your first crit or doing your first race here at the track or, you know, doing a gravel race and finishing and having a really grand old time with the beer tent. Like it doesn't matter what the thing is, but that experience of finishing the thing or Peloton ride for Mora, like when she was texting me after stage five, it doesn't matter what the thing is, but when you have the thing and you finish it, it feels so good. It feels so good. And it doesn't matter if you did it the fastest. It doesn't matter if you won or didn't win. It doesn't matter. You did the thing. Um, And I guess that would be out of this whole, I think, rather beautiful, long conversation is come out and do the thing, right? The the moral of the story is- If you're afraid of it, all the more reason. I think if we have inklings, maybe- Oh, I thought about trying that once that we're obligated to our potential. We are obligated to our potential to listen to those inklings, take that risk, show up without judgment, see what happens. And when you realize you're at that moment, like, wow, why did I do this? And then you get to that line and you have that flip you realize that making yourself proud becomes addictive in the best way possible. Yes. Yes. And that's where we should end this conversation today (laughs) because we can't hit a higher note, right? Like that, that is, that's the message of the day. Um, So, right. Let's hit that note all let's look, go into 2021 looking for that. Uh, here at the track, and we can't wait to see you back down here. I cannot wait. It's been uh, way too long. And I hope you have another night where you can bring your fan club out because that was oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so so we'll, we'll we'll look forward to having the cheering section up in the stands, socially distanced and masked wearing, but but still out to cheer, and uh, it will be terrific. And 
I cannot thank you enough for coming on the pod uh, today and sharing our goal of 50-50 in 50. And I think with a whole lot of voices like yours uh, kind of chiming in, we'll, we'll get there. So thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, this has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast. Uh, we look forward to bringing you more content like this. If you liked what you heard, please like, share, follow, comment. It all helps us gain listeners. And please, uh, if you did like the message today and you do have friends who are track curious, share this message with them. Tell them to listen to this podcast um, and, and encourage folks to come out and try the thing and to to get that same feeling of crossing the line or scaling the volcano. Uh, we look forward to seeing everybody here at the track. This has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast with hosts Joan Hanscom and Andy Lakatosh. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode brought to you by B. Braun Medical Inc. Head on over to our website, thevelodrome.com, where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.